Wonderful. Just, um, I love it when you come to preach on the back of a time of worship where God is speaking clearly, where his presence is evident. It's just good to be family together in his presence, isn't it? And really what I want to be speaking on this morning is a continuation. It's basically basking in his goodness, exploring his grace again. I don't know about you, I've just been really touched by his incredible grace once more, that he should call me his child. Just astounding. Just astounding. Okay, so we are in a series looking at our three new church values, which are empowered, engaged, and extravagant. And it was great having Mark Tomlinson with us last Sunday in our all-age service. He was encouraging us to keep on engaging with our community to continue to step out of the boat, step out of our comfort zones, stretching ourselves to reach others with the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to be moving on to our third and final value, and that is the value of being an extravagant people. Our little Sentence summing it all up is this, God held nothing back from us. That's what we've been singing about this morning, isn't it? We will therefore hold nothing back from him in our praise, in our joyful sacrifice. It is God's extravagant grace that motivates us to glorify him in all that we do, in the way we live our lives. And I don't know if you've noticed, but each time we've looked at these values, we've started by first looking to God, looking up. You know, so we are empowered purely because He is the one who clothes us with power from on high. We are engaged. We're able to engage with Him. We're able to engage with love with one another and in our communities because He first engaged and continues to engage with us. He is committed to us. It's wonderful to have that sense of security and confidence in our God. And the same is true for this value of being an extravagant people because God is incredibly extravagant towards us. In fact, to all he's made. And again, I love it because we've been singing about that extravagance already. He's the one who has given it all. You know, Jesus called us not just to a new life, but to an abundant life, a full life. John 10.10. God is not a God of half measures. He isn't a God of just enough to get you by. He is a God of abundance an incredibly gracious, generous God. And as his people, we are called to model that extravagance and generosity, firstly back to him, but also to one another and to our communities around us. This value has very practical implications, which we're going to be looking at over the next two weeks as well, more probably more practical in the next couple of weeks. But as I said, we want to start by firstly looking up and just looking at fresh at God's extravagance towards us. At his heart, God is a giver. He is the giver. 
He doesn't stop giving. If we think about the Godhead, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, within that Godhead, they are perfectly and fully fulfilled. There is perfect love, perfect unity. There is no lack within the Godhead. And yet, God chose to share that love, to share that communion, to share that community with us. So he created, he gave life. He gave us a home full of beautiful spring flowers coming up through the soil, full of streams, full of mountains, forests, air, (laughs) the warmth of the sunshine, material in which we can build cities and homes. He gave us food, not just for fuel, but food that tastes great. Salted caramel ice cream just sprung to mind. I mean, just tastes great. He's a God of abundance. He, he, he gave us talents and abilities to work. It's sometimes good to remind us that work is not a product of the fall, <laughs> although it sometimes feels like that. But no, work is actually God's plan, part of his paradise, in which we can find fulfillment and satisfaction and joy at putting to work the gifts and talents he has given us. It's all through him. The whole of creation speaks of his desire to come and share this life, this love with him. Our very existence is an amazing, extravagant gift. I wonder how often we think of it like that. Monday morning. What an extravagant gift I have. You know, but he doesn't stop there, does he? As we read through the creation story, we see he gave Adam and Eve authority to have dominion and to rule. And this is where it gets scandalous. Because even when we turned our backs on him, when Adam and Eve decided to rebel against God, he is still the giver. We read... That when they discovered their shame, when they felt shame for the first time, realized they were naked, what did he do? He gave them clothes. First time there was any death, (laughs) gave them animal skins to cover their shame. Again, pointing to one to come who would die to cover our shame. And you see this right the way through Scripture. God does not stop giving. Abraham and Sarah, even in their old age, even while Sarah was barren, he gave them a son. He gave them a promise. Through you, all the nations on the earth will be blessed. He keeps on giving. When the nation of Israel started to grow and flourish and then become a threat to the Egyptians and they were taken into slavery, into captivity, God gave them salvation set them free from being slaves in Egypt. When they were in the wilderness, he gave them everything they needed, provision of food, provision of water. He gave them rules so that they could live well. He gave them the ability to experience forgiveness even through the temple sacrificial system. He never stopped giving. 
gave them, of course, the promised land. He didn't say, now you're out of Egypt, here's a little scrap of land, make what you can with it. He gave them a land flowing with milk and honey. A description again of his generosity to a, a, a nation that was constantly moaning. And yet still his hand was generous. Still he gave with abundance. This is our God. Are you, are you kind of getting a picture of, of, of him again? When they moaned, all the other nations have kings. We don't have a king. God's like, yeah, you got me. Well, no, we want a king. He gave them a king. He gave them a king. And when they continued to reject him time and time again, what did he give? He gave warnings after warnings after warnings. And when they didn't take heed of those warnings and were taken into captivity, he gave them hope upon hope upon hope through the prophets of one to come who will finally break the curse of brokenness and sin over the world. And of course, that is the greatest gift of all. We often celebrate it Christmas time, the greatest gift, we call it that, the gift of God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. God gave himself for us. Incredible. He lived the perfect life that we had no chance of living, fully fulfilling the law. He died the death that we deserved. He gave us his perfect righteousness. Our righteousness is a gift. He gave us his authority. He gave us the right to become children of God. Again, we've been singing about that. Claire was reminding us, we deserve death. Penalty of sin is death. And yet, he gives us life. He gives us his righteousness. He gives us a place in heaven seated in heavenly places with Christ. It doesn't stop. He just doesn't stop giving. He gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can be empowered and equipped and guided to live the life we are called to live, to bring others into relationship with this incredibly generous, giving God. You know, you could simply sum up God's generosity towards us as, as the superabundance of his grace. He's the God who holds nothing back from you. Psalm 84 verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give you grace and glory. He will give you grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Ephesians 1, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he carefully measures out for us. No, he lavishes upon us. Are you getting the language here of extravagance, of abundance, of an open-handed God who just loves to bless, who just loves to give? So when we talk about being an extravagant people, okay, this is the sort of lavish, self-giving, open-handed, abundant giving of ourselves that we're talking about. 
This is what we are talking about. And it's demonstrated by our God. And the trouble is, human nature tends not to dwell on all the abundance that we have around us. You know, part of our our nature is to always find the one thing or the few things that we lack. It's just part of our consumer culture, isn't it? It's what makes it work. It's what makes it tick. It's like, yeah, of course I've got an iPhone, but it doesn't have a headphone jack. How annoying is that? And I know a lot of people are saying we shouldn't have bought an iPhone then, should you? Just, I mean, let alone I can, I can watch high-definition videos. I can, it tells me where to go. I can shop on it. I can even make calls. doesn't have a headphone jack. How annoying. You know, we, we tend to focus on the little things. It's the little things that often take our eyes off the generosity of our God. You know, it's, as I said, it, it's our culture wrapped up in a nutshell. It's just thinking again as we were worshipping. I think it was Claire, you were, you were talking about just being bowled over by the fact that we get to encounter God. As we gather on a Sunday, is that, are you bowled over as you walk in here going, I get to worship with my brothers and sisters without fear of persecution, but with freedom. I can come here and celebrate my God, the one who gave it all, the one in whom I, I know his arms are always open to me. I get to encounter the risen Christ through his Holy Spirit. I get to approach a throne not of wrath, but of grace. And find mercy in my hour of need. Does that fill your heart and fill your mind as you worship? Or are you drawn to the, yeah, but? Yeah, but. I just really love to, I'm preaching to myself. Let's fix our eyes first on the incredible extravagance of our God. Who continues to give. Are we cultivating thankful hearts, generous towards God in our praise, extravagant in our demonstration of worship? You know, the devil's tactic has always been to try and get us to take our eyes off the generous, giving Heavenly Father that we have. You know, God is the giver. What does Satan do? He's the stealer came to steal, kill, and destroy. And his plan has always been to diminish or corrupt the good gifts of God. You know, we just don't need to think far, do we? Whether it's this planet that we live on, it's a wonderful gift from God. Whether it's marriage, relationships, sex, wealth, power, authority, it's not very hard to see where these things get corrupted. These good gifts get corrupted. And again, if you just go back to the story of the fall, Genesis 3. You know, there was Adam and Eve surrounded by extravagance, surrounded by beauty, surrounded by everything they needed. Paradise. And yet, what did the serpent get them to focus on? The one thing that God said, that's not for you. Everything else, abundance, extravagance. Yeah, but we want that. 
And, and his tactic's the same. He gets us to doubt the giver. He gets us to doubt his goodness. He gets us to think, I think he's holding out. I think he's holding out on me. Andrew Wilson has just written a new book called Spirit and Sacrament, and I've been reading little excerpts from it. And there's a, there's a chapter in that which is, which is really all about God being the giver. And, and he says in this, which I think's so true, he says the fall is rooted in simply thinking God's gifts are not good enough. And all our fallen thinking is kind of rooted in that. God, I don't think your gifts are good enough. I think you're holding out on me. You know, the, the, the great 18th century preacher, Jonathan Edwards, Puritan preacher, once said, people who lose sight of God's extravagant generosity often end up full of envy, contempt, and resentment. And he describes envy as withholding blessings from others in order to preserve my own happiness. It's all about comparing, isn't it, envy? It's like, well, they've got this. I need to have this. I can't give this because then I'll be in lack. Withholding blessing from others because I want to preserve my own happiness. Or contempt, which he describes as withholding blessing from others because we think they, they're too unworthy. It's not about comparing. It's actually all about deserving. Do they deserve our favor? Do they deserve my generosity? Or resentment, which he describes as withholding blessings from others because I feel wronged. I feel wronged. And that's all about justice or a sense of injustice. And, and Jonathan Edwards very simply says, here's the remedy. Look to Jesus. Look at the gospel. Because what does the gospel say? Firstly, of course, God is not envious. Who can compare anyone or anything to God? He is incomparable. He doesn't withhold anything out of envy. And, and equally amazingly, and perhaps even more amazingly, he doesn't treat us with contempt. He doesn't treat us as unworthy, even though we are. He doesn't withhold generosity. He doesn't withhold goodness because he thinks we're un unworthy. And just as amazingly, he holds no resentment towards us. In fact, he treats us quite the opposite. He treats us exactly as we don't deserve. And that's what grace is all about, isn't it? Undeserved favor. So when we look at the example of God, when we look at the example of Jesus, when we read the gospel, we see God doesn't withhold. He does not withhold anything out of envy or contempt or resentment. He gives us what we don't deserve. And in abundance. And in abundance. You know, when we look at Jesus, we see how he constantly gave glory to his Father, constantly mirrored his Father's extravagance by what he did, knowing how unworthy we were, knowing that he was going to die while we were still in our sin. Before we made any step towards him, he ran towards us. And yet he was prepared to go through with it. 
extravagant grace. And he kept on giving. He gave sight to the blind, healing to the lame. He gave value to those who were marginalized, loved the unlovely, constantly giving out, lifting the lowly. Everything he did modeled the extravagance of his father. You know, I mean, even just some of the miracles he did. Think about turning water into wine. The great shame of running out of wine in a Middle Eastern wedding. He could have said, yeah, I'll, I'll cover that. Just make a few bottles, that'll tie them over. No, what does he do? He turns 150 gallons of water into the finest wine. Kind of says something, doesn't it? Not just mediocre wine. Well, half of them won't even notice. No, the finest wine and gallons of it. Gallons of it. And Mark was chatting the other day, um, last week, about the feeding of the 5,000 Counting women and children, probably 15 to 20,000. I love the fact that it wasn't just that everybody was fed adequately, but that there were 12 baskets of leftovers. There was more than enough. I love the fact that, you know, a basket for each of the disciples. You know, there you go, lads. That should do you for a little while. Baskets of leftovers. The extravagance of our God just speaks volumes, doesn't it? And we again see this extravagance in the stories Jesus told about the kingdom of God, the parables. Stories that, you know, sometimes when we read it, we think, well, that's not very good stewardship. That's, that's, a, that's a bit rash, isn't it? You know, we got um, Matthew 20. Jesus tells the story about the workers in the vineyard, about the landowner who pays a full day's rate for the people who came right at the end. Who only worked an hour? Well, you can have the full day's rate. And you think, it's not very politically correct, is it? That's not, that's, that's not good stewardship. You know, that's going to rub people up the wrong way. And Jesus, you know, when these questions came, he's like, who are you to tell God how he lavishes his generosity? He didn't underpay anyone. He overpaid and chose to overpay some. Just, you know, we so often focus on, actually, that's a bit unjust, isn't it? No. <laughs> it's God's extravagance. It's God's grace. He was prepared to give way above the going rate. Again, Luke 14, Jesus tells the parable of the great banquet. And talks about a certain man, wealthy man, preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And, and, and the time came where he sent his servant out and said, I'm ready. Everything's ready. Call the invited guests in. And if you know the story, one by one, these invited guests started to make their excuses. You know, oh, I've just bought a field. I have to look at it. They could have thought up a better excuse, couldn't they? But one by one, they all dropped out. Sorry, I've got to, I've got to stare at my field. What, what did this host do? Did he get into a huff? Stuff you, closing the doors. Well, that's the last time I throw a banquet open. <laughs> no. What does he do? He tells his servant, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Go out into the roads and country lanes. Compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Do you get the heart of God there? Throw open the doors. Invite everyone and anyone so that my house may be full. 
In my Father's house, there are many rooms. I'm a child of God. (laughs) That's who I am. Just the open-handed nature of our God. Chapter later, uh, later, Luke 15, we've already talked about it this morning, the prodigal son. Again, just a demonstration of the extravagant grace and goodness of our God. There is this father who could have easily struck his son off his will. The audacity of basically saying, Dad, can you hurry up and die? I want your inheritance. I mean, and what does he do? He gives him the inheritance. And when the son blows it and comes back with his tail between his legs, I didn't realize about the stoning thing. That just adds another dimension to it. What does he do? He receives him back as a son. He puts a ring on his finger, a robe on his shoulders, kills the fattened calves, have a banquet, holds nothing back, but celebrates his son. Just beautiful. This is our God. Radical, extravagant, sacrificial, generous to the extreme. And of course, mentioned before, none more so than when Jesus gave his life for us on the cross. Opened his arms. This is how much I love you. (laughs) As the nails went through. Incredible, incredible grace. And we know it doesn't finish yet. As I said, God keeps giving and giving. And we know the end of the story. We know there's going to be a wedding banquet that will surpass any wedding banquet when the church, the bride of Christ, is united with Jesus. There is going to be one incredible party. And you know, our, our only right response is to worship, isn't it? It's to come to God with thankful hearts, to look again at His grace, to look again at His incredible love. We've been listening to an artist, Lauren Daigle, um, in the car. We tend to have CDs that just get stuck in the CD player, and we just on repeat play, almost know every word. But one of the songs she sings is called First, and, and she's got these lyrics... Before I bring my need, I will bring my heart. Before I lift my cares, I will lift my arms. Before I speak a word, I will bring my heart and seek you first. It's challenging, isn't it? Because all of us have needs. And we've been talking about little distractions that that take our eyes off off the goodness of God. It's one of the devil's tactics. But the truth is, a lot of us, most of us, have very, very big, real needs. We have holes that need filling. Holes in our hearts. Holes of hurt and disappointment. Holes of brokenness in relationships or in our physical being. We need God to fill those holes. <laughs> and there's the challenge there. There's this call. Kind of what Jonathan Edwards was encouraging us to do. To first fix our eyes on the one who has already given it all. I will seek you first. Before I bring my cares, before I bring my needs, I will raise my arms in worship. And I will seek you first. Because the reason we can do this is because we can be secure that God, the giver, already knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly what we need. That is why we can come 
Seek him first. Acknowledge his goodness. Bring our worship, our thanks, our praise, our all to him. He does not withhold any good gift. Church, do you believe that? Is there part of you that thinks, yeah, but uh, I think he's holding out on me in this area? Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things. When we come to God with our needs, <laughs> knowing our brokenness, leaning on his grace, leaning on his mercy, acknowledging his truth and his goodness, that's sacrificial worship. That's extravagant praise. That honors God. You know, and it's this attitude of extravagant sacrificial worship that compelled the widow to give her last meal to the prophet Elijah, 1 Kings 17. If you don't know the story, she literally had enough flour and oil for her and her family, then she would die, her and her son. And Elijah said, give me some of that. (laughs) And she knew he was a man of God. Sacrificial, she gave. And what did she find? The flour never ran out. The oil carried on going and going and going. God's extravagant provision. It's this attitude of extravagant worship that compelled the widow in Luke 21 to give her last two coins, all that we're told she had to live on. She gave it into the temple offering. And Jesus saw. (laughs) Jesus saw. The one who does not withhold any good thing. It's this attitude of extravagant, sacrificial worship that compelled a woman who, who knew her shame, who knew her sinful state, to push past all those barriers and push into where Jesus was staying and break open the alabaster jar full of perfume worth, I don't know, lifetime savings. Broke it all open over Jesus' feet and dried his feet with her hair. Extravagant, extravagant worship. Yet as we look afresh and see how much God has given and continues to give, that should radically impact our worship. And I don't just mean as we gather on Sundays, although it should radically impact our worship when we gather together. There should be this overflow of gratitude Yes, knowing our need, but saying, God, you, where else can I turn? You're the giver. You are good. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are worthy of my praise. But it should also impact the way we live out and use what God has already given us. We'll be looking more about that next week. It should inspire us to live with the same radically generous spirit that Jesus demonstrated to all, to all. See, people who, who know God's lavish grace, they are the ones who are secure in the Father's provision, both now and in the future. And they are the ones who therefore tend to be a lot more open-handed 
with what they've got because they know the faithfulness of their God. They know the generosity of their God. They, they know, well, God, you can be generous to me. I can be generous to others. There's this open-handed approach to honor the giver, to worship the giver, you know, not the gifts. <laughs> it's important to differentiate that. We don't worship the gifts. We're very thankful for the gifts. We pursue the gifts because that honors the giver. But we don't worship the gifts. We worship the giver, Jesus Christ. It's probably a sermon for another day. I'll just finish looking at the time with reading just a, a chunk of, of Scripture. This is a letter Paul wrote when he was stirring the church in Corinth. Stirring them to live and to demonstrate a more extravagant lifestyle in their giving and to be more open-handed. And he gives them this encouragement, and I think this will set us well for, up well for next week. But in 2 Corinthians 9, reading from verse 8, and, and listen again to the extravagant language that Paul uses here. This is true. God is able to bless you abundantly, okay? So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You're getting the language here. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Verse 15 simply finishes, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. If the bank had come back, I think it would be just a good to worship. I'm just going to pray for us as a church. You know, right the way through the worship, God's been reminding us of his goodness, of his grace of his boundless love. And I just want to thank you, God, that you are such a giving God, that you withhold no good thing. I pray, Father, that as a church, we will model extravagant worship towards you in response to the extravagance that you have lavished upon us, that we will be those who are not distracted by focusing on, on the little things that, that we lack, but focus on all the abundance that we have in Christ. You have given us everything we need for life and godliness. We have the riches of heaven at our disposal. Help our eyes to be fixed on that. But Lord, I pray that that will also motivate us to be extravagant and open-handed with others around us as you were, Jesus, to the point of giving your own life. We acknowledge we are only here and able to be here in your presence because of that. And I pray that we will live lives of sacrifice and surrender to you, but also lives that enrich and bless 
many, many others. For your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. Shall we stand to our feet and let's worship?